from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. With this enormous baby, plastic baby pacifier that was oh, like, yeah. you know... She had, she had a whole group of things she would use. Most women at the time referred to their show as soap operas during the week. Not my grandma Faye. You posit in this book, and you have some contemporaneous reporting from the time this oh, was yeah. big, that women were the most bloodthirsty oh. fans. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I spent hundreds of hours just reading newspapers from all over the country, and there's one, this referee says, I've had it with women. I'm Sarah Fenske. For more than two decades, beginning in 1959, the stars of professional wrestling came to St. Louis, and they grappled in a ring at one of the city's finest hotels. Wrestling at the Chase wasn't just one of St. Louis's hottest date nights. It was also a TV juggernaut. Welcome to Wrestling at the Chase, the opening bout, a one fall with a 10-minute time limit. Introducing from Houston, Texas, weighing 227 pounds, Gene Stevens. Now, the real-life story of these staged matches is now a coffee table book chock full of stories and memorabilia. It's called, naturally, Wrestling at the Chase. And joining us now is its author, Ed Wheatley. Ed, welcome back. Glad to be here again. So, Ed, your book quotes uh, wrestler Ric Flair saying Mm -hmm. this. In the year 1978, Terry Funk told me if I wanted to be a star in this business, I had to get to St. Louis on Friday night. You know what I'm talking about. I had to be at the Keel or the Arena. I had to be at the Chase. I had to be in St. Louis if I wanted to be a star. What made St. Louis such a wrestling destination? Well, first of all, St. Louis was the wrestling capital of the world. You know, it was run by Sam Muchnick. He ran the NWA, which is National Wrestling Alliance. It was headquartered in St. Louis, and he was the man who made you or break you. This is where it really all happened. Wrestling had been around for decades, but it had never been in this format. He, you know, he, he gets credit for building this wrestling profession, kind of like Pete Roselle built the NFL. And you know, there wasn't the other sports. The NFL wasn't big yet in this time. There was no NHL. The NBA was small. And this was the thing that everybody gravitated to. And so how did it come to be in, like, sort of the fanciest ballroom in one of the fanciest hotels in the city? Well, you know, there's just time things happen, intervention. Sam Coppler, uh, or Harold Coppler, excuse me, who owned the Chase and that was bringing on this new fledgling television station in St. Louis, the fourth television in St. Louis. Like the first uh, independent. The first independent and would become one of the top independent uh, televisions in the nation. You know, it was known for two things, the Three Stooges and Wrestling at the Chase. But before there was Wrestling at the Chase, he was on an airplane with Sam Muchnick. And Harold was talking about, I'm building this new television station. I'm going to have to get programming. And where am I going to get it? besides the Three Stooges. And, you know, Sam Muchnick was saying, you know, wrestling is kind of going through a little reevaluation of itself. Television is coming in. You know, I'm looking for some programming. So that airplane ride where they were writing this out on a napkin, I call that the engagement. The next near 30 years was the marriage, 30-year mm-hmm. marriage of one of the greatest. And, you know, it if you look at the WWE and Vince McMahon may not have been what it is today because Sam did the foundation and there's that handoff when Sam retires in 1983. The times are different. You know, video comes into play, cable TV, pay-per-view. Everybody wants action with video games. Vince 
brought that into the ring as Sam retired. But it would never have happened without Sam. So wrestling changed. But the, during this heyday mm-hmm. that you're writing about here, this wasn't what, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s, and what you saw in pro wrestling was so kind of over the top. This seems like it had a, a different vibe. Well, this was a totally different vibe. I mean, this was like warriors. All these men played pretty much professional football, college football. Sometimes Sam would tell him, you're going to make more money with me than going with the NFL. Hmm. And you look through the book, and probably one of my favorite pictures is in the early 50s, Dick the Bruiser, one of our town's favorites, he played for the Green Bay Packers. And the picture I found of his um, team photo on the Packers, there's number 72 in the middle with all these other players and this monstrous man sitting amongst all these other players, Dick the Bruiser. And they all have a story about they, you know, where they were before, but these were just tremendous ath- athletes. And wrestling really is whether you know what part of you know the reality or the, it is athleticism. I mean, these guys are picking each other, slamming them down. I mean, you know, you're having Andre the Giant, all 543 pounds of him jumping down on you or laying on you. I mean, that's just in itself. But they, that that's the special. It looked real. It was special. And you also got to remember the times. We didn't have all these other entertainment venues mm-hmm. outside of television. And, you know, even if you came to the match or you want, watched it, it was good versus evil. You know, the heels versus the faces, the bad versus evil. And generally the good wins, and you would root for the win, and you felt good. That's what it was really about, and that's why it's so special. And tied to that, we're at home, you know, there wasn't, as we said, there's only four channels, and people didn't have any. They didn't go out. They didn't do all these things like they do now. They were home watching TV. All watching the same programming. Same program, because they only yeah. had one television in the house. It was a little big old wooden box with a little tiny screen, rabbit ears on top. And it's those bonding memories with your parents. A lot of people had grandparents living with them. And that's what those memories are. And that is actually a perfect segue to we had asked for your memories of wrestling at the chase. And we already have heard from some of you. We're going to open the phone lines in a minute. If you've got a story about watching this, whether you were there in person, I'd love to hear from somebody who went to the chase in person. Um, Or if you were somebody who just watched it on TV, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. And we did hear from Mimi. And she shared some amazing memories of wrestling at the chase and her grandma Faye. Every time I hear wrestling at the chase, the first thing that comes to my memory is of my grandmother on my mom's side. Uh, This was a woman who was very ahead of her time. And the one thing that we always were told when we went to grandma's house, grandma Faye on Saturday nights was don't bother grandma Faye. She's watching wrestling at the chase. We couldn't ask her for cookies. We couldn't bother her at all. We had to completely wait until wrestling at the chase was over because that was her show. Most women at the time referred to their show as soap operas during the week, not my grandma Faye. She referred to her show being Saturday night wrestling at the chase. So that is such a charming story. And Ed, I understand as far as the demographics go, an older woman who was way into this program, this was not unusual. Oh, no. I mean, the book... You know, I reached out to, not only did I reach out to wrestlers to provide their inputs and fans, and so many of them had these stories, and it seems like it is grandmas. I mean, I watched it with my grandmother. But, you know, we got one of a 90-year-old lady in going to her room to watch it on her own TV. She had moved in with the family, and Emil, his family, you know, she barely talked Italian. I mean, English, she's talking Italian, screaming at the TV set in the other room. They say, go in there and check on Grandma Emil. Emil opens the door, and Grandma's on all fours, banging out with the referee. 
they all have stories, and so many of them, for some reason, are about their grandmothers, you know? I love it. And you posit in this book, and you have some contemporaneous reporting from the time this oh, was yeah. big, that women were the most bloodthirsty oh. fans. Yeah, I, I, I've, I mean, I spent hundreds of hours just reading newspapers from all over the country, and there's one this referee says, I've had it with women. You know, women are the most loud uh, you know they want they want blood. They're screaming, "Kill him! Rip his ear off!" And you know I'm staying away from women. And you know there was a woman. Her name was Ruthie. She was from the East Side, and she would be at every show. And she had a red beehive, and she would get there early to get the front row seats. And she would be banging on the ring. And she had a rubber chicken. She would bang, and the wrestlers, you know, everybody thought she was part of the program. She wasn't. They would be screaming, "Get away, yo!" You know, whatever. And I'm not going to go into that, but uh. we're on the airways here. But yeah, I mean, that's amazing, and I love to think of these little old ladies. Man, I, it just uh, it makes me proud of my fellow women. I want to go to the phone lines. Michael is calling from Webster Groves. Uh, Michael, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Hi, um, I have seven. I have seven brothers and sisters. Wow, four brothers, and we would go. We would watch wrestling at the Chase, usually on Sunday morning. I, I guess they replayed it on Sunday. They re-aired morning. it, yes. And, yeah. and so, so we, then we would go out. Oh, sorry. Oh yeah, no. I, go ahead. So then we'd go out in the yard and we would redo the moves all morning, and, and uh, we'd all wrestle each other. And did anyone ever break a collarbone in the process of this, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. It was more. Um, and the gig wasn't up. We thought it was real. You know, we were little guys, little kids. And, well, and, uh, well, at least you went out in the yard. There were many kids like you that did it right there in the living room, and a few t- lamps and tables were busted. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Michael, I find myself but, wondering, I mean, you fully bought this drama. Do you remember the point when you found out it wasn't real? Uh, probably high school when WWE was kind of taken off. We kind of knew, knew it was not real, but... But it was still fun. It, it, exactly what he was talking about with uh, sitting in front of the TV with your family. And we did the same thing with um, Soccer Made in Germany um, uh, on, on PBS on Sunday morning. Yeah. The same, same exact scenario. We'd run out of the goal and say, Franz, um, we, we'd say Schumacher. He was a goalie for Germany. Anyway. Well, were you, were you one of the ones who had to go to church early so you could be back home in time? Because everybody yeah. complained they had to go to early church so they could get back. You, you would time. It's exactly what happened. You'd time it on, on, on church, and then you would, exactly. You're so right. Well, Michael, I just love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Um, Tom is calling from St. Louis. Uh, Tom, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Good uh Afternoon. Good afternoon. Morning. We'll take it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I recall going to wrestling at the Chase in the 70s. And I believe the woman that uh, the gentleman was talking about, I remember she had this uh, wild beehive hairdo, sort of like Red. Marge Simpson. But instead of a rubber chicken, what I recall her having was this enormous baby plastic baby pacifier that was oh, like, yeah. you know. She had, she had a, a hundred... whole group of things she would use. And, and, and it had a, a, a menacing phallic look to it, and she would wave it at the uh, heels while screaming, Stop it, you big baby. <laughs> and I remember at the time, while sitting in the audience, thinking, Wow, if you're of legal age, you actually watch this stuff and get to vote. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, thank you for that uh, that memory. And so it sounds like you were there in person. I'm curious, other than this this lady with the beehive, who certainly sounds like a character, what was the vibe like at, at these matches? Did people dress up to come to these during the era you attended? I think we may have lost Tom. Okay. Well, it was fun to hear Tom's memories. And, and yeah, it sounds like mm-hmm. you are not making up this beehive no, woman. No, she's real. Ruthie. <laughs> 
So Tammy also sent us a tweet. We would watch Wrestling at the Chase on Sunday mornings before church. Sounds like Tammy's family hit the late service. We are talking today to author Ed Wheatley. He's a baseball historian, has written many books about sports in this town. His new one is Wrestling at the Chase. And as we can tell from uh, the people calling in here, Ed, it seems like this book has really hit a nerve in a good way with this city. Well, it's good memories. I mean, it was a time when St. Louis was one of the top cities in the country, you know, uh, from a business perspective, there were, we were ranked fourth for Fortune 500 companies in here. And it's these good memories of dressing up, going, you know, to the Chase Park Plaza. And in there, you know, I got the bills from all these. I mean, the Chase was the place. Frank Sinatra, Nat King uh, Cole, Rosemary Clooney, Dean Martin, Sammy Juice, they all were there performing. But that wasn't the hottest ticket. The guy would say, hey, I got, you know, calling up his girlfriend. I got the tickets to the Chase tonight. Show up. She wasn't going to hear the throat of Frank Sinatra. They were going to uh, drink Bush Bavarian beer and, and bratwurst in the Coruscant room, which in itself, this was where the Vale Prophet Ball was. This is where mm-hmm. the Muni Opera Black Tie Balls were. And any social event in St. Louis always happened in the Coruscant room. And then for this one night, it was transferred back to be this wrestling. And these wrestlers, this was the place also... I mean, I'm, look at these chandeliers I'm under. I'm not in some dank, dark arena. I mean, they couldn't believe it. And men and, uh, you know, e- women in evening gowns, men mm-hmm. in dressed up, women with evening gloves and pearls. I mean, it was just, you know, she might get spritzed with a little spit or sweat. but uh, <laughs> Small price to pay yeah, right there. ringside. Yeah, and, you know, part of what was interesting about this to me is that they couldn't tape these wrestling matches um, or they couldn't do it live on Saturday nights because this room was too popular for these swanky galas. So this was all taped. Oh, it was taped on Mondays, which leads up to so many stories. The Gargiola brothers, Joe and Mickey, I mean, they're legends in St. Louis. We know about Joe when he went to the Today Show because he did the first several years then went to New York. But Mickey was here. I mean, you know. It was taped mainly on, on Mondays because then they could have a big uh, program with some of the big name wrestling wrestlers at the cha- uh, at the arena or Keel, and then they could come over here and spend the night and then do this and head off on the you know the, they would go to another city, but you know the famous story was when Sam Coppler calls up Nikki to we'd be our ring announcer. Joe said you'd be good. He says well, I'm the head waiter with Jerry. Saturday's our biggest night. I can't lose customers, and Sam says, well, didn't your brother talk to you? We tape it on Monday, which then led to Mickey would go up on Saturday mornings. All the Italian guys on the hill would gather at this one gas station at Bishop and Marconi, and they would smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and talk. And Mickey would go, oh, by the way, I got tonight's card out here. We got Dick DeBruiser, Cowboy Bob. You know, what do you think? I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Bob's feeling pretty good. Well, Mickey knew who all who all won because it was taped on Monday. He, he, you know, I'll bet a quarter. You know, they were his pigeons. Uh huh. Mickey had some fun with this. He sounds like such a character. I love both those oh, anecdotes. Oh, about there are so him. many stories in there from Mickey. I want to go back to the phone lines. Eunice is calling from Kirkwood. Uh, Eunice, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Um, I I watched I watched it every every weekend with my dad all the time from black and white to color. Mickey Gagliola, I saw all the, I watched Dick and Andre and Rocky Johnson, but um, my dad, when he was a kid, um, he lived down in South County, and when he was walking to school, if the weather was bad, this limousine would pull up next to him, and it was loose as his car. Whoa, a wrestling star in the flesh. Yeah, he used to jog up and down uh, Lee May Ferry Boulevard in Porter Road when he lived out there. And he would take my dad. He would pick up my dad and say, "Get in the car and 
they uh, they would take him down to the elementary school where he went to school. Wow, you just, that's an amazing story. And uh, and Ed, this is a wrestler who shows up quite a bit in this book. Oh, Can yeah, you Luth give has, us just a little context on this guy? You no, know, Luth. You know, I kind of divided. Wrestling and Chase had three histories. The, the, early, the early decade was Luthez, Pat O'Connor. Luthez was, you know, set the record for world championships. You know, and then you had Dick the Bruiser, Cowboy Bob Ellis, and then, you know, Ric Flair uh, and all the others that came in, the Funks, and, you know, everybody. But the, he was one of the early stars, and he was really mm-hmm. this role throughout it because he was going back even to the 40s and 50s. You know, and Luthes he was a local was, guy, He was a local like. guy. Went to Cleveland High School down there. And, uh, yeah, he was, you know, it was, it was, it was just – they were common people. They were people you would see. You know, Joe Tangero had the big restaurant down on South Broadway. I mean, th- these were just regular Joes. Hmm. So we've been sort of enjoying um, the excitement of these matches and the heyday of all this. But you referred to it as a marriage. And a lot mm-hmm. of good marriages eventually come to an end. Right. So what did in the marriage that was wrestling at the chase? Well, there were two parts to it. As one, Sam Muchnick was getting up in age and was retiring. You know, he finally said in 82, 83, I'm going to retire. It was also, as I spoke earlier, about this beginning of the 80s and this video electronic era was evolving. So it really transformed into Vince McMahon, whose father was a protege of Sam Muchnick under mm. the NWA. He ran the Northeast Territories. Vince came in and really wanted to get into the cable TV and expanse. And so as Sam retired... Vince took over, and that's what evolved into WWF. They had to change their name to WWE, and that's what you have today with all this pyrotechnics and mm-hmm. a little bit of sexism and all that that prevails. That was nothing that would ever happen under Sam Muchnick, but it was also the changing time and what people wanted. Mm-hmm. So, Ed, in our final few minutes here, I want to mention, though, that there is um, the National Wrestling Alliance's back. Yep. Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins yep. uh, purchased it, and he recently brought back matches to the chase. Do you think yep. there's a resurgence in this type of pro wrestling that, that you seem to feel is a more pure form of the sport. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I was just talking to Billy this morning. Uh, You're I kidding. Mean, no, I mean, wow. I was involved with him in the whole thing working up to the NWA. And, you know, they, they, they realize what a gem we have in St. Louis. Um, there is this, you know, it was sold out the two nights of the, the big matches. And, you know, there's looking at opportunities uh, to, to re-come here because it was special. And when you talk about the history of wrestling, there's only one place to talk about St. Louis. Hmm. So Billy knows that. That's that's yes, amazing. He does. I mean, there's some things we're working on with him. Yeah. And I feel like this book can only drive more interest in this. You are having such a, oh. a ton of interest in this book. I hope I'm not speaking out of school, but you no. mentioned you're already going for a second printing. It's only been out for what a week? Ten days. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's counting. So, I mean, and I don't know. It, it feels like you've tapped this thing here. I know baseball's your sport, but do you yeah. feel greater appreciation for wrestling after digging into? Well, this? I actually, t- you know, the history and the stories that I didn't wear. It, it was fun. Well, you know, what's fun more hearing these stories, like the people who called in, all that I wrote. Because, you know, it's worthwhile because you're bringing back these memories. Like it was the Browns. You know, they hadn't played in 68 years. We're bringing those memories. But but this, much more bigger because, one, it's more contemporary to an extent. But it, it had the passion. It was everybody. You know, because, again, I'm watching TV. And the other thing it was, it was the great equalizer. Mm-hmm. Those swells who couldn't get into the chase, all of a sudden, you're right over their shoulder. Just yeah. like you're right there. It was a great equalizer. A great equalizer and a great era for St. Louis. Well, Ed Wheatley, thank you for joining us today. Thank you.
This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.